Greetings and welcome to the Quest for Wisdom podcast, where we search for nuggets of wisdom from the lives of some truly amazing people. Today's guest is Daniel Clegg. Daniel is a martial arts practitioner with black belts in both judo and taekwondo, and now he is working up the belts in jiu-jitsu as well. Daniel left his life in the UK with a yearning to escape mundanity and search for new opportunities. On a very limited budget, he cycled to Greece for the Olympics and became used to sleeping outdoors. He then spent four years living on the streets in Paris, where he pursued artistic dreams and hustled for survival. He has recently started an Instagram page, at tkd.flow, where he teaches and showcases taekwondo skills. Today we talk about discipline, camaraderie, delayed gratification, and much more. Daniel is a straight-talking and highly disciplined human being. I hope you enjoy our conversation. For more details about Daniel, check the description of the podcast. Welcome, 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 Daniel, to the fourth episode of the Quest for Wisdom podcast. How does that make you feel? The Quest for Wisdom makes yeah. me feel, how did I end up here? How did um, I end up here talking to this weird man in a, in a green room in the middle of Barcelona? How did this weird man end up here talking to another weird man? It seems, to, it seems very fitting when well, you put it like that. Exactly. Wait a minute. Let me put my phone on silent. Because don't want to get disturbed. So, yeah, Daniel, you are the fourth uh, guest on the podcast. I think that they're getting better every time. So this will be the best podcast uh, in the series so far. Until the next one. Until the next one. Um, so you are a human. You uh, are Last time I checked, yes. You are a human. You're also a man. You are a black belt in judo. Yes. You are a photographer. Yes. You are an artist. Uh, I'm hesitant to use that term. Maybe we'll get into that, but I'm hesitant to use that term. I'm a lot more comfortable and confident to say that you create. I art. paint. I paint. You paint. Um, okay, so you paint. May or may not be an artist, but you that's, do. That's for other people to decide. <laughs> but you do indeed paint. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I've got you here on this podcast, we we spoke, we met because you were doing photography at an event I was performing at. Yes. Um, and I performed a poem about a, basically someone who got hooked on drugs and be became homeless in Barcelona and uh, ultimately died. That poem's called The Ballad of Barcelona. Uh, no, The Ballad of John Doe. And you then came to speak to me about that because you thought that maybe I'd experienced being homeless. Um, and then we got onto the topic of you being homeless, living in Paris, um, painting, maybe being an artist, maybe not, um, but ultimately living rough to escape a life in the UK that you weren't comfortable with and uh, escape drugs and all these other things. So could you start by telling us a little bit about the beginning of your story, how you ended up at that stage, living the artist lifestyle, George Orwell, Ernest Hemingway, um, don't know any painters that have done that, but um, yeah, hit me. No, yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's escaping. It was about escaping a life I wasn't interested in and trying to build, find, discover, have bestowed upon me a life that I did want. Um, I grew up in a small town in England where there's not many opportunities. 
and in my late teens, I needed to leave. I went. I first went to university. That didn't work out for me. What did you pick to study? Um, it was photography and film studies. In my first year, photography and film studies, and then in the second year, I changed to uh, politics and philosophy. Um, but there were a lot of reasons I needed to leave that place. Um, and the place I ultimately decided to spend my early 20s was in Paris. And living rough in Paris was uh, preferable to, to going back to uni. Or it was preferable to, to going back home um, to, to that town. It was it was the least bad option, I guess. Um, but that may not seem to some people listening. That may not seem like the least bad option to go and live rough for. It was a few years, wasn't it? Um, it was like four years on and four off. years. So, how, in what way was it the worst option? Uh, the best option. Sorry, it was, it was the least bad option. Um, well, I mean, Paris is a special place. Paris is Paris is a, a, a yeah special experience. Uh, in, it's a it's a magical place. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say it was a bad experience. It's, it was uh, had a lot of unique uh, and profound experiences. So I feel very lucky for them. But yeah, sleeping outside is is was not a choice. Living outside, living in that very transient lifestyle was not a choice it was a consequence of the situation i found myself in so that's that's something i would have changed i wouldn't have chosen that but it's i felt i had few options other than to other than that to be where i found myself but yeah i wanted to be in that place i wanted to be having those experiences in that place so living outside was a consequence of that and and that the the entirety of the situation was better than going back to uni or going going back home um but what was so bad about uni or home that made you feel like you had to to leave because it, it, it you talk about it almost like it like it's escaping like it's yeah. it's it's something that you had to almost run from fairly abruptly yeah um okay so the the town i grew up in is it's a it's a, a uk english coastal town are you gonna name and shame it it's great yarmouth great yarmouth yeah um actually it's just outside of great yarmouth but great yarmouth probably more in people's minds than than the town itself but it's close enough um yeah and great yarmouth like many uh, English coastal towns. It's deprived. It has a the 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 predominant predominant economy is uh, tourism, or it was at the time. Um, so for uh, two months in the summer, it's it's a really interesting, fun, exciting place to live. And then for ten months of the year, it's it's a bit of a hell. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of unemployment. There's a lot of problems with drugs. Um, if you're not working in tourism, you're quite possibly unemployed. A lot of unemployed people. Um, there's there's few career prospects. It felt like that 
for me that there were a few career prospects. Um, there's there's a an offshore industry. Mm. Um, there's some shipping and working on oil rigs. But that's that's really tough work, and it's not a I'm not opposed to hard work. It's just not the work I wanted to do. And um, but that creates a real tough mentality as well in people. So it's it's a tough cold town physically but that permeates into the mentality of the people so there's a lot of hostility there as well so it's like a your standard kind of working class is it working class town there's there i think the term is underclass underclass okay yeah it's there's, there's a lot of working class which i have a lot of respect for but there's a lot of underclass as well and uh, yeah there's a lot of criminal activity and a lot of drug abuse and a lot of unemployment which yeah i didn't want to be around that mm. yeah i try i wanted to i wanted to try and create a better life for myself and i didn't feel like that was the place to do it um so yeah my first stop following the advice of tutors in school and college was to go to university but uh the the city I chose to go to university just felt like a lot, a bigger version of Great Yarmouth. And what city was that? That was Wolverhampton. Ah, uh, okay. Um, it was it was it was just a bigger version of Great Yarmouth. I was encountering a lot of the same problems. Yeah, I think those those because I was in Birmingham for uni. And those Midland cities, I can imagine how twenty thirty years ago would have been the shit. You know, when there's a load of industry going on, when that industry's gone. You know, all your places, Leicester, Stoke, <coughs> Wolverhampton, there, yeah. it is, you sense it, you feel the depravity, yeah. and you feel, the, it is resentment, there's resentment, yeah, yeah. there's hostility, there's depravity, <coughs> and it's sad, because there's just nothing, yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. for people to do, and it's... all these people that have worked really hard, really hard, doing really demanding jobs, yeah. and then they just get shut down, and then they're just stuck. They've lost nothing. their purpose. Lost their purpose, exactly. Um, their so icky guy. Need to create a new identity for themselves. And, and at, at, in, that, in that moment, they're vulnerable. Mm. And people can be exploded in their vulnerability. And, yeah, they've lost their identity. They had, they had a purpose. They knew who they were. They knew what their role was within the system of, a, of, of an industry. And yeah, they lost that, and yeah, it creates a lot of problems, frustration, anger, resentment, hostility, um, and and a sense of escapism as well. People are trying to escape from this 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 absence that they can feel in their lives now. So it's it's very easy to turn to drink and drugs and other forms of escapism. They want to make their lives better, so it's very easy to 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 gamble and to to hope to wish to gamble your opportunities away it's yeah it's did you feel did you feel the within yourself did you feel the resentment growing up did you feel the hostility did you feel um envious of people that had better opportunities or or wealthier people um the reason i ask that is because it seems to me that 
you know, between the classes, there is resentment, you know, that working class doesn't like the richer people, upper class, and then upper class doesn't understand the working class. And there's all this total mis mismatch of, of feelings towards different people, effectively. Do I, do I feel that in myself? Did you? Or I suppose, do you? Oh, um, yeah, maybe more so at the time. Maybe then, at, at that time I did. I could probably say that I did. Um, I wasn't satisfied with my role, with what my place was. And I wanted to break away from that. I wasn't willing to accept the role that I felt I was being put into. Within, so within, I didn't want to be that cog in that machine. So you felt that your opportunity, the opportunities that directly faced you were very limited yes. and you refused to accept that. Correct. Well, that's very admirable. Um, so you mentioned to me before that then during that time you, you ended up getting mixed up with drugs. Um, was that in the teenage years? Yes. And how did that happen in the first place and how deep did that go? There was everywhere in the fact. I think it was hard to avoid it. Unless you had a really good structure, um, parental, uh, I th unless you had a really good parental support network, it was, it was hard to escape it. It was everywhere. People were looking to escape. Mm. Excuse me. <coughs> yeah, people were looking to escape and that was a, very easy place to escape into. Mm. And so, so which drugs were you using? I was smoking a lot of a lot of weed. Yeah. More than anything, it was it was that. Yeah. And alcohol too. They were very they were very accessible. They. Yeah, they gave you the escapism that you needed, um, but ultimately they create more problems than they solve, and you need to you need to deal with your problems in a different way yeah that's the thing that is <laughs> when you're trying to escape and then the moment that you start using these um chemical escape methods the chances of you getting hooked on that are so high and the chances of you actually solving any of your problems are so low and they just get further and further and further apart and yeah you you can you can solve your problems for, for one night, but you wake up in the morning with more problems than you started with. Yeah, a good friend of mine, he, he was a heroin addict for about 10 years, and he this came at like the end of my drug-taking career, so it was advice too late, but it's always stuck in my head ever since. He said, whatever you take from drugs, you pay back with interest. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, that. I thought that was just, it's, it's stuck. It's the same, you can, you can apply that. Alcohol for confidence, you'll feel worse the next day. For sure. Caffeine for energy, you'll feel worse the next day. You know, weed to escape or to be creative, you'll be worse the next day. It's like all of those, and they just compound on each other, and you just go down and down and down and down and down. And if you don't have other things in your life, they're so easy to abuse. Yeah. And there will be people there who want to exploit your your, your vulnerabilities. Mm. The The... Well, the dealers or the people, there's pubs on every corner. There's liquor stores on every corner. There's dealers on every street. Yeah. There's, there's a reason for that. People want to escape and then there's an entire economy built around the, 
the idea of selling you something other than the life that you have, other than confronting the life that you're actually living and dealing with that and solving those problems. I think that I think that the UK is for escapism is crazy and for just general drug use alcohol use everything you know i've traveled around a bit been to various different places and the there's nowhere maybe ireland uk and well when i say uk i i, I include wrongly include ireland in that but the uk and ireland um there's just nowhere i've been that compares to it and i think part of it is is um the weather yeah because yeah. For, for most of the year you can't go outside and just hang around no. just wander around or like go and work out in the park or you know just do any of those things meet some friends and wander around the park just all those things like you can but you also can't at the same time like it's dark it's wet it's cold it's not inviting yeah and you I get think... sick uh you put yourself at risk um or if you want to use i don't know floodlit facilities it's it it becomes expensive and if you don't have the resources to access those those spaces, then what choices do you have? Yeah, it's it's sad. I think because it does. I think it does in the way that you've mentioned that, um, you know, the the mentality of people is shaped with their circumstances around work and everything. It's also the same with like cold weather. Cold weather creates kind of cold, hardened Absolutely. people. And I always think that it it stems back to in the olden days you know if you if you didn't have if you're in somewhere you know scotland northern england in the winter and you don't have shelter you're gonna die like that's it you're gonna die because you can't survive outside if you're anywhere further south you know like northern france or most of europe um you're not gonna die You, you you probably won't well you probably won't die of cold at least and it creates this weird hard like mentality of tough like not not expressing your emotions because i have to kind of stay yeah, you, gotta, you, you gotta keep your head down there's no time to really think about your situation because you have to deal with it um yeah i can't think too much about how my feelings or what my responses are to the situation because if i spend too long thinking then i'm not active if i'm not active then i'm not gathering the food or or repairing the house or keeping gathering the firewood mm. is uh yeah our mentalities are a consequence of our environment yeah and i think it was like it was coming to spain that really showed me the difference people are just so laid back here sometimes annoyingly so uh, like it, when it comes to actually getting stuff done you know there has to be a nice balance between that but it's like people are just in no hurry they don't really care much about things um and it's just they're happy to just chill around and drink a beer in the sun like that's the environment permits that yeah you can sit outside all day on the bench and yeah you're not going to die because it doesn't get that cold yeah very rarely and you can sit under the orange tree and just wait for them to fall down and you're and you're fed you don't need to do anything yeah the food is just falling off the tree yeah, and you mentioned um, you mentioned that you you were like going home wasn't an option for you um, during university time, so your leaving was a better option than going home. Can you explain a bit, a bit about that about the home life? 
Um, I'd have got sucked back into all the things that I was trying to escape from if I'd have gone back home. Mm. Um, my the friends I had at the time had had been sucked into into that world. They were going deeper into into drugs and they were struggling to find meaningful work and have meaningful projects in their life. And I, I'd have got sucked back into that. Um they were I don't want to be mean to them, but they were kind of friends of geographical convenience. Yeah. Again you're a product of your environment. If you don't know any better then then you're you have to deal with what is presented to you in your environment. Um and those friends at that time in that place were were getting deeper and more committed to a world that I didn't I didn't see myself as being a part of. Um so there was that. Again there's no jobs. There's mm-hmm. no meaningful jobs in that town. Nothing that interested me at the time. Um and yeah, my home life was was unstable. So that would have been problematic as well. I mean I had a room to go to, which is why I'm sometimes hesitant to use the term homeless. Because I had a room. I had a place where I was welcome. Welcome. I had a place where I could go. But I didn't yeah, I didn't feel welcome there. I knew that it would come with problems, and the problems at in my in at home in my in the house where my parents lived were bigger or would have been bigger than the problems I was facing out on the streets by myself. But what problems were those? Yeah, I wouldn't have called it this at the time, but in later years I've realised that maybe the correct term is abuse like verbally abusive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive. Um, I think you can abuse people by withholding resources from them. It's like it's another form of mental abuse. Uh, like you you give something, you make them feel comfortable, and then without explanation you take it all away again. And it leaves the person, it left me feeling very confused, like what have I done? Well, why is this happening? It's a form of abuse and manipulation. Mm-hmm. And it never seemed to have any reason behind it. It always seemed unjustified. And yeah, it's just not something I wanted to deal with. It was it was uh, having major consequences on my on my mental health. Um, were they drinkers? Were are um. There have been bouts throughout the history of my life where I can recall my parents resorting to alcohol. They're not alcoholics. Okay. No, they don't have a long-term abuse problem. But there have been periods that I can recall when both of them independently, I would say now, relied a little too heavily on alcohol to to solve whatever problems they were experiencing in their life at that time. Yeah. But they're not alcoholics. They don't have, they definitely don't have drug problems. Um, and, and the incidents or the, the times that I'm referring to were, are minimal. 
but that has happened. I think it's maybe everybody or a lot of people resort at some point to some form of escapism. So yeah. Maybe I'm maybe I'm trying to cut them some slack and say that it's kind of normal. But then also having gone through my journey, I would say that you have to find a different way. 100%. Um, and so at what stage did judo enter the uh, equation? <clears throat> um, I actually did judo as a kid. Um, maybe I started judo maybe seven years old. Uh-huh. Did it for about four, maybe five years. Um, got to, I think, uh, green belt, which is kind of halfway through. And yeah, typical, well, 12-year-olds, you know, that's when you're starting to maybe become more self-aware. And you don't want to maybe... You, the toys, the interest you had as a child, maybe mm. don't interest you some more. And, and it was around 12, 13 that... I started getting into some of the things we've already talked about and the things that had previously interested me started slipping off my radar. So about judo. Yeah, I did judo for about four or five years from maybe seven, eight until 11, 12, something like that. Um, and yeah, I didn't go back to it for, um, I think until 2016. Oh, so it's like a massive gap. Yeah. Almost. So how old are you now? I just turned forty. Oh, okay. You can very good for your age. Judo's obviously worked well. It's, and Paris. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's you know it's it's you've got to take control of your life and you make healthy choices. And I try and make healthy choices. Yeah. Drinking water. Um. But what? Sorry, what you didn't mention there. Um, I actually got. Uh, yeah. Okay. I did judo as a kid. Um, as a, how old, okay, hold on, let me, let me put these things in order. Um, okay, when I stopped living in Paris, when I, when I just finally decided to move back to England and go back to university, um, I think it was 2009, by which point I was like 26, 27, and one of the... Um, clubs, societies at the university was a taekwondo club. Oh. So at 26, 27, I actually started taekwondo. Okay. And I got I got quite deep into taekwondo. Found it very. It's something I needed. Like that was a healthy thing for me to do. Was, Kicking is very therapeutic. <clears throat> I think it's just a physical activity, you know. Mm. You need to use your body. You you do you use your body, you put stress on your body, it releases dopamine and serotonin, makes you feel good, you know? Um, and you feel healthy. So you wanna escape. <clears throat> Excuse me. You wanna you wanna escape? Well you go to this place that's a different environment. Um, you go to the gym, you go to the dojo, you go to a, a different space where you can change your mentality and, and kind of tap into a different part of your psyche and who you are and engage with, yeah, a different environment with different lights and different colored walls. And it's, it's something different, mm. you know, maybe than, than the place that you're trying to escape from or this thing that is another part of your life. It's, it offers variety and color and texture to, to your life by 
having lots of things that fill your time. Taekwondo was one of those things that filled my time. I got very deep into it. I recognized that it was healthy for me physically, mentally. I recognized that, yeah, it's, there's things in, in my life that, that make me angry. Mm. But I can't take that anger out on those things. It wouldn't be right to do so. I'm not allowed to do so. And nor should I be. Um, but I think it's it's right, it's natural, it's normal, it's healthy to feel anger mm. at certain things. Um, but you have to you have to be very careful, very responsible with with that feeling and the power that that emotion has. You need to channel that into a healthy, constructive place. If you don't if if you don't have control over that, it'll get you arrested. Yeah, it'll get you put in prison. It'll get you in street fights. It'll have you hurting yourself. Um, so anger from in, in is normal, for in my opinion, anger is normal and anger is healthy if you can channel that energy correctly. And on on the spectrum of anger, which, <clears throat> would you say that you fall more towards naturally quite like an angry person or naturally a more relaxed person? I, I'm, I would say I'm relaxed. But there's a lot of things that make me angry. Mm. And I think I, th I think it's right. Like, if you see somebody dropping litter in the street, then and if that doesn't anger you, then I would question, why, why, do, why do you not feel angry about that? That's something that doesn't need to happen, that shouldn't happen, that is very easily avoidable. And if you're not having a response to that, to the action of that other person, then... Really, I think you need to question your own ethics and morality, and that's just a small example of dropping litter. There's, there's, yeah, yeah. there's, there's hundreds of things that should make us angry. But then I climate change, war. But uh, then, then I suppose though it's like you mentioned, it's how you channel that anger. Does do you experience momentary anger, and then that anger dissipates uh, as you process and understand the situation, or does that anger? That someone dropping litter last all week, I suppose there that's when the the difference is. I think that depends on the severity of the problem that you're witnessing, or the the control of the anger that you've got. Yeah, this too. I know that, like for example, in in my case, there are things that most people would consider stupid or pathetic that would be playing on my mind for years right and like sometimes wake up in the morning and i'll be angry at someone about a conversation that we've had five years ago and it's like that's my version of anger but i don't i don't experience anger to the level where i would be violent ever um whereas i played rugby for many years i've just started again but um and also doing martial arts and seeing there are some people who will switch and you can see people switch and rage fills them yeah, that's... and that's it's really scary to witness but it also it always made me curious as to what that feeling is like because you literally it's you literally see their eyes change uh -huh. and it they they are not themselves that happens to me and that happens to you yeah but you have to learn how to control that yeah because that's that's something that it's always fascinated me in just a human expression of emotion that that's that has fascinated me i've seen it happen many times but i've never experienced that and there are certain people who you can tell have got 
rage inside of them and a lot of those people tend to turn to martial arts because that's how you learn to control that rage and you channel it you put it into a box and you save it for an appropriate time yeah the moments when you're allowed to do that and your opponent agrees take it it out on an inanimate object that's what kicking bags are for yeah yeah like i really don't want to do that to people even though maybe you could argue that some of them deserve it i don't want to do that to somebody it's not nice it's not the vision that you want to create for the world if you reckon if you okay well the person dropping litter that's a problem that the world doesn't need to be like that we can control this problem but rage anger is not the way to do it we need to reason with this person yeah we need to solve this problem in a different way it's right that you're passionate about it it's right that you get angry about it Mm. because that means you feel something that means you care and if that means you care about important things but you want to live in a in a, a a beautiful world well that's we start by not throwing litter on the floor and setting a good example for other people but if somebody's doing that if they've momentarily forgotten if they were never taught you need to give them the benefit of the doubt and and reason with them and that's that's certainly one example again there are many many are more important than than this dropping litter example but i suppose it sets a good benchmark because it's the it's the most simplistic and easily understandable and you see it every day and you see it every day but like like you're mentioning about you know it's there has to be some empathy involved like, for example, I spent some time in Brazil and I went into the Amazon and went to like an indigenous community and stuff and absolutely filled with litter. Like you would not believe the Amazon River filled. And then from our brains, we're like, oh, my God, what's wrong with these people? Like, why are they throwing litter? But then they grew up and have it ingrained within them from using organic everything, you know, like a bowl is a coconut shell or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then they just throw it throw it on the side because it's organic so it doesn't matter then along comes the west and along comes plastic Uh and non-decomposable items they still have to eat it chuck it in the in the river or whatever and they haven't unlearned that and they don't have the infrastructure to clean this stuff up yet it's like if we didn't have if we didn't have you know barcelona is actually very clean they do an amazing job of keeping it clean but if we didn't have you know bin lorries coming around doing it the percentage of people that do throw litter would end up you know it would be ridiculous there would be litter everywhere i think it was in the in the 60s or potentially the 70s maybe the fifth between 50s and 70s in new york the binmen went on strike Uh and within a very short space of time the city was absolutely overflowing with litter and it's then it's just like whoa it makes you realize that wait a minute like we actually rely ridiculously on this infrastructure it's absolutely crazy um but that's a little digression there um so yeah so you were then you got into the taekwondo and the taekwondo was um was helping you i suppose yeah absolutely the the community of people um i started training in in a gym in a sports hall but the, the community of people was great and I think it was about three or four years after training with, with that club in the sports hall that I moved to a different city after finishing the university. 
moved to a different city to then do a master's degree. And in that in that city where I was living at the time, I found another Taekwondo club that was practicing the same style. And they trained in a church. Ah. Um which was a beautiful which was a beautiful place. It was a it was a it was big, it was spacious, it was beautifully lit. Um be- beautiful spiritual place to train and there's a lot of spirituality in martial arts mm-hmm. um so again it's about being in a different environment being in a place that you don't normally go having a having a good support network of people around you to help um so yeah training training in that church was a real privilege training with those people was a real privilege um and i think i did after after starting i did taekwondo for about about 10 years eventually the the second club i was training with awarded me the black belt there and and made me an an, an instructor and it was around that time i was like hey i wonder if uh you know okay i got my striking down i feel pretty confident about my striking um taekwondo is, is striking for anyone who doesn't know it's punching it's punching and kicking mainly. our style was is predominantly kicking there were some hand strikes uh, but very few in comparison to the kicking. Okay. It's pro- predominantly kicking. And how does a um how does a taekwondo match get scored? Like is because are you going for knockout? Are you going for uh, points? Uh, well, I think it's one point for a shot to the body, three points for a shot to the head. Okay. And then when the ti- when the timer runs out, whoever's got the most points is winner. Okay. Are there knockouts in it though? Like, do people get? Because you wear the you wear the the head guards in it when you're fighting, don't you? Yeah, um, knockouts as a as a like an Olympic sport, knockouts are are really frowned upon. You can actually get penalised for using excessive force. Ah. Oh. Like so, if you in as a sport, if you punch someone too hard, they'll they'll deduct points from you. It's excessive force. It's a sport. Like you just need to. It's not about as a sport. The idea is not to to injure your opponent. Like, okay, if I can strike you, then I've made my point. I'm not trying to knock you out. If oh. you if you carry it into a diff- if you carry it into MMA, then then yeah, sure, I'm trying to trying to knock you out because that's what that game is. That's what that sport is. If if it's a street fight, then yeah, probably the same. Ah, oh, so as the sport, it's more, if anything, I suppose, more control to try yeah, and kind of like tap you and and show make, that yeah, I can demonstrate your ability demonstrate your technique demonstrate your mastery of of the technique it's not about force it's about your technique your skill your your speed your flexibility your ability to to fake out your opponent by think making them think that you're sending your kick one way and then actually flipping it and and sending it another way it's very technical because i did um i did a little bit of capoeira which is like the brazilian um it's like a fight dance. Are you familiar? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So for people, anyone that doesn't know, it's it was created by the the slaves in Brazil who were not allowed to fight because they were slaves. They so they basically created this martial art which has some music involved and it looks a bit like a dance, so that they could practice some form of combat without making it look like they were doing combat. And the yes. idea is that you're against an opponent and you're you're trying to hit them. And if you do hit them, you win. 
So that you're trying to hit them, they're trying to avoid you, and it's this it's this game of backwards and forwards, and it's it was so amazing just to, to it's like the coordination and and because sometimes you'll you'll work with people and you'll be basically just dancing with them and trying to double uh, second guess each other, but sometimes you'll actually be fighting and trying to tap them, and it's just yeah. that it's that level of control. It's that. If it's I could, good. I could batter you exactly. here. Exactly. If I, but I'm tapping you. That's not the game and that's we're it. playing. Exactly, and it's like, like you're my friend. Yeah. Right? The majority of this, the time you're sparring with people from your gym, from your dojo, they're your, they're your friends. You know, um, I'm not trying to to knock you out because you won't come back next week. Yeah. And then how many weeks can you do that for? Because eventually there's going to be nobody there. Yeah. Like, okay, it's sure. If somebody wants to go hard, then then sure we'll go hard okay but there's rules to it there's structure to it there's a format to it like you play by the rules of the game and sure if you want to change the rules a little bit then that's to be agreed with the person that you're playing with mm. but um no principally it's a technical sport it's a technical discipline yeah and you mentioned about the um about the community and you know working with just having that support network there yeah. it's like what was that doing for you mentally to have that structure there? Um, it was reassuring to me. There's like, oh, there's people who who are into the same things that I'm into. They understand these feelings that I have. Mm. That's why they came to this place. That's why they found their way here. Something brought them here. Or, or if 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 something didn't bring them there, if if it was their parents, <laughs> um, rather than a feeling that they had, if if something else brought them there, something within them made them stay. They're all they're all adults. They're all self aware. They're all responsible. Like nobody's forcing you to be here. Why do you choose to keep coming? There's something inside you that we can that is shared between us. Yeah. There's some feeling, some awareness, some thing that keeps us both coming here. We have something in common, and yeah. it's not these that they were not friends of geographical convenience. Mm -hmm. They were friends on a more profound level. They were friends who, yeah, some of them were angry, but they they knew that this was the place for their anger. Some of them really enjoyed the physicality of it. The, the some of them really enjoyed the diet and nutrition. Some of them really enjoyed the the space, the the church. I was telling you about. We had things in common. Yeah, I in valuable things, deep things. Yeah, and I uh, healthy healthy things. Yeah, I think that it that sense of community and that sense of connection to people who are experiencing similar things to you is just invaluable like it's that's part of the reason we're doing this podcast getting all different people on who've had these different experiences because each person talks to a different branch of people you know and it's like wait a minute i'm having those experiences i'm feeling these things right. maybe that's the right avenue for me and it's right. like when you finally you know i was here i've been here for seven eight years now and i've always felt like the black sheep everywhere i always felt lost uh -huh. i always felt like yeah. i had friends i had acquaintances but i didn't feel like i fitted in anywhere yep. and then you know about a year ago or whatever and I, I started discovering this creative scene here yeah and then 
straight away without even really talking to people. I'm just around all these other weirdos who it's, have got... Uh, it's weirdos. It's yes. weirdos. It's like all, around all these other creative weirdos who've got their head in the clouds talking about weird poetry and saying stupid things. I'm like, you know, right. just feel so comfortable talking to these people because they are ultimately similar to you. Right. And then once you feel that, it's like you feel so much less alone. Yes. And that sense of community was something I was just like longing for and longing for for so long just a you know a forum or a space where you can just be yourself yeah and just no judgment do whatever you need to do and everyone else will just be supportive yeah nothing but supportive and it's like it's it's so so valuable and i don't know anyone that's not got some sense of community because friends are yeah. one thing and you know friends pop up from different places some are geographical some are through yeah. circumstance, some are through relationships, whatever. But friends are a different kettle of fish, I think, to community and tribe. Yeah. You know, because friends are there regardless, and you might not even have much in common with your friends, but they're they're there. But the these community that you meet, that they, you you just connect. You do yeah. just do without it's having to say much. It's you an do. unspoken exactly. communication. Exactly, it's unspoken. Everybody gets each other without having to really say or do anything. Yeah. And there's not there's not much there's not necessarily much dialogue ever exchanged when That's you go right. to the dojo or when you're training or doing a sport. Right. You don't need to. It's just you've all got each other's backs, you're all there right. and you're punching and kicking each other. Or right. like in my case it was it was always rugby and like you're there smashing people yeah. and then hugging them afterwards. Right. And it's like it's it's so amazing. This is, this is something about me. They these the feelings that I have inside the understanding I have of myself needs to be expressed and exercised through this activity. And you're here to do the same thing. We've got something in common. Yeah. You don't need to speak about it too much. It's, it's, it's a shared communication. Yeah, it's amazing. And so then you got your... So you got Black Belt in Taekwondo. Yeah. And then you moved on to Judo. Yeah, I was... The more oh so sorry no sorry so you did no, the judo correct. when you started yeah and then you got the taekwondo in the middle and then you came back to the judo okay yeah okay let me I did judo as a kid as in my mid twenties I started taekwondo when I got the black belt in taekwondo when I felt confident with my striking I I remembered that oh yeah I did <laughs> judo for like four years um I wonder if if I'm still any good at that, like I'd really like to learn that again because it's a completely different style. And it's so it's grappling. Yeah. So explain to people judo, the, the the fundamentals of judo. What's the objective? How does it work? Um. Okay. Real quick, judo. You 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 start standing on your feet, and the objective is to throw the other person on the floor so they land on their shoulders. As in the sport of judo, you win. As a martial art. The idea that if you can throw the other person on onto their shoulders and they're on the floor, at that point you would, as a historic like samurai, you would then draw you would then draw your knife and they'd have one less player in their team. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but as 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 a sport, the objective is to throw the other person on their shoulders. Um, doesn't always work out that way so the game can continue on the ground where you can win through holding them down mm. again the lineage from the martial arts being that you at that point you can draw your 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 knife or you can disable them through strangulations chokes um breaking their arm things like that 
Um, so there is a submission element to, to judo, but principally the pure way of judo is to make the opponent land by throwing them onto their shoulders. Okay. Um, it's a grappling. It's where, whereas technique, uh, whereas I've described Taekwondo as being very technical, judo is, is power, strength. It's technical as well, of course, but it's, um, it powers a lot more important and you will need strength and power to throw your opponent to the ground. Yeah. So yeah, I felt, I felt confident with my striking and I wanted to explore or re-explore my grappling. Okay. And so the, you started that, you said 2016. Yeah, let me think. When did I go back to that? Um, I finished my master's. And when I finished my master's, I'm like, yeah, okay, I need, I need some more projects. Let's, mm. let's try judo. Let's see, if, let's still, let's see what's in the box. And I, and I thought, I thought I'd have to start again. I was quite prepared to start as a white belt. And I did. I was totally white belt. But the head coach at the club where I went to train judo was um, quite high up in the British Judo Association. And he was able to fast track me through the lower grades to get me back to where I was when I quit as a kid. Right. Um, so he's, he, yeah, basically he signed me off and after six months put me back to green belt. Okay. He had the power within the association to do that, and he could see that my ability, the things I'd learned previously, okay, I need to polish them up a little bit. I need to remember the names and mm-hmm. perfect the technique, but six months will get you back to where you were. And then I think about three years, again, starting at the green belt effectively, three years of training and competing, I got the black belt in judo as well. Nice. Because, uh, yeah, you can earn your your black belt in judo through competing. Once you get to once you get to your brown belt, all the the lower grades are typically quite technical. You have to do exams and you have to know the names of your moves and throws and demonstrate them very technically. But once you get your brown belt. This is how it worked for me. Once once I got my brown belt, you can start competing against other brown belts. If you win, you get 10 points. You get 100 points. Congratulations, you get to keep the black belt. You won't sit through competition. Ah, so if you so if you beat 10 brown belts, then you get your black belt. Oh, are you making up the number 10? No, no, no. That's, oh, right, yeah, right. that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. You, you... If one beat if one brown belt beats another brown belt, they get ten points. You collect a hundred points. Congratulations, you your black belt. Oh. There is a technical pathway as well. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Um, but it's also a competitive pathway. So nice. some people, some people are not so good at uh, competing. Yeah. But they they know the names for everything. They know uh, how to how to do the technique perfectly. They can show variations of it, combinations and sequences. Um, but they're, they don't want to, comp- or they're not very good at competing. Uh, so they follow the technical pathway, but I was, I followed the competitive pathway and, and earned it that way. So at that point, I feel very confident with my striking, felt confident with my grappling, felt like I had things pretty covered. And I, I think there's some people like this, this was my case. I always wanted to do martial arts when I was a kid, 
um but i was oversized to say the to say the least like i was way larger than everyone else up until i was about 13 14 and everyone caught up um and my mum always just thought that if i did martial arts i would just be beating people up um and then but then i think that maybe is kind of um one of the misconceptions about it that teach someone to fight and then they'll start smashing people's heads in um would you say that it helped you to to avoid actual confrontation in real life or having that ability to or what impact do you think it had yeah definitely it definitely helps me to avoid confrontation in real life uh, like physical confrontation certainly um you know if you're skilled in a fighting discipline or in a in a discipline that can be used for fighting as opposed to a sport you know the power that you have and you should be aware of the responsibility of that mm. you can't go starting fights with every person who drops litter one one you're you there's just not enough time in your day to do that down the vigilante but but two you know you're gonna you're gonna end up hurting some people and there's gonna be some consequences for that mm. uh you're gonna get in trouble with the police and also i've learned that i remember one competition that i was in judo and i looked across the mat from me and i'm like man i got i was arrogant in the, in this moment I'm like, man, I'm so easily going to win this. Skinny, it was the skinny little kid standing across from me. And he was. But he got me with a choke. And I'd never been choked out before. I never had to tap out before mm. in judo like that. I'm like, wow, that really... I think I was humbled in that moment. Or oh, that definitely taught me to, to, uh, to not judge people before, before you kind of stand toe-to-toe with them. Because yeah. I thought I was going to win that. I was very confident about winning a, against that kid, and he choked me out. So, again, if you're going to apply that to somebody out in the street, like, okay, this somebody's looks unassuming, you don't know what they know. Yeah. And also, you don't know that they might be carrying a knife exactly. or anything. You don't know if they got three friends waiting around the corner. You can't be starting fights with people. There's no. going to be consequences. You're going to get yourself into trouble. Or you're going to get hurt. So I would try and avoid confrontation, physical confrontation on the street. Mm. Absolutely. It's the last thing you want to do. Yeah, I think that the the power of even even someone that's done one year of, you know, something like judo, jiu-jitsu, even something um, Muay Thai, even one year of training, that person is then just way above anyone that hasn't done sure. anything. Sure. Even someone that's bigger than them, you know, by 10, 15 kilos, sure. they can batter them. Yeah. And people don't, people underestimate this, I think. And it's like, I got, in Brazil, I got tapped out in, in jiu-jitsu by a girl. I think she was about 17. Uh-huh. She's a brown belt. Do you remember her? She had her back on the floor and then just like her legs around my neck just like yeah. i was just like stood up like trying to resist just like because obviously no one wants to like no man wants to get tapped out by a, a, like a woman let alone an 18 year old girl that's about 55 kilos or something yeah. half my body weight and then tapping me out and i was like oh my god yeah, like don't, these people don't 
make any judgments about anybody. Yeah. But I think as well that one thing I thought was amazing that obviously jiu-jitsu, well, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is from Brazil, but a lot of the people I'd met, and especially a lot of the girls, had done some form of martial arts training. Yeah. Um, and everyone I spoke to, like all the girls I spoke to about it, said it just gives them this level of confidence that they didn't have before. Yeah. Um, you know, there was I, I met this, uh, she was Vietnamese. She was like a Vietnamese-Australian, so like typically small, like a typical Vietnamese person. Sure. And she was a blue belt, and she said that once she started training jiu-jitsu, she felt so much more comfortable just in every moment of life because she knew that she could at least protect herself in to, to some level, yeah. you know, against an average person, an average assailant. She can protect herself pretty well yeah. and at least buy herself some time yeah. or, or get away. And it's just, it does give you that level of confidence because it gives you that clarity when you've been in those super high pressure situations where someone is trying to choke you out or break your arm. Yeah. And yeah, it's controlled, but they are still trying to do it until you tap. Sure. It does give you that sense of clarity. In you know, when I, you know, when, when you're looking around and you see you see some unsavory characters or something, and you're assessing the situation: is this going to turn nasty? Blah blah blah. You're walking yeah. around late at night, but it gives you that that ability to step back and think: okay, is this the right idea? And analyze it a bit more. And I think it's so so valuable for anybody to do just a year or two of anything yeah i'd agree well it it helps you to know what your limits and abilities mm. are as well like um you you you're you're in a situation that you don't want to be in but you know what to do when you're there i'm not going to start throwing hands when i'm better at grappling yeah i i already know what my strategy is if I find myself in this situation, I don't ever want to be there. Mm. Like principally, I want to remove myself from that situation. But if I can't, I know what I'm going to do when I'm there because I've tested my skills and abilities in a safe environment. I know what situations I can handle because I've been in them before. I know what problems are like, I'm likely to encounter because I've been in them before. And I know what my responses are to that situation because I've been there before. Mm. It 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 is it's training, it's practice. It's I hope you never have to use it, but if you do, you have a greater understanding of what you can do, what you should do, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what problems you might encounter, what problems you can put on the other person. Yeah. One thing that like one thing that blew me away when I first started, like cuz I'm still a total beginner and then I you know, I started training then i hurt my shoulder and i basically haven't gone back yet um but one thing that blew me away was chokes how ridiculously effective yeah. chokes are you know even someone that's way smaller than you oh, that's, can, yeah. can choke you and like even if even if you break out of the choke if they've choked you hard enough around your voice box you're destroyed yeah it's like that like it's and there's yeah, yeah, yeah. so many different ways of doing it. Yeah. So I always think to myself, that's my tactic if I ever need to get straight in for a choke. Because probably if they're if they're a bit of a scrapper, you know, like a street fighter, and they're trying to attack yeah. you or whatever, they're probably going to be better with their hands than I am. But are they going to know about how to get out of a choke? Probably not. Yeah, and um, if you do hopefully it, not. If you're technical with your... I'm doing 
Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now. Mm. It's what I've been training since I moved to Barcelona. So it's a, I've got about two and a half years of uh, BKJ now. As so well. you blue belt? Yeah, come on blue belt earlier this year. Oh, nice. What else? Um, thanks. Um, but yeah, chokes are. If you got a nice technical choke, if you can get your chokes on quickly, then you don't want to punch somebody in a street fight. I mean, there's risks to that. I saw a street fight earlier this year, and and then you hear the stories all the time. The guy, he gets a great punch, but the other guy falls on the floor and dies. Now the other guy's dead because yeah. not because of the punch, but because of hitting his head on the concrete. It's like, do you do you want that on your conscience? Well, do you want do you want that on your court records? Yeah, yeah it's it's. But if you can choke somebody out, it's like, okay, put them to sleep. I'm leaving this situation. Five seconds is enough to put somebody out with a good choke or a good strangle. They're different. Then you can carry on with your day. Yeah, like, I know. You yeah. know, you you can. the 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 situation is calmer, safer than it was. This person's asleep. They're not gonna. They're not gonna do anything. They're not dead. I yeah, can, I can walk away. Yeah, I've got a. I have a friend, and he, he was in the army, and he went out with a group of his friends, and one of them, um, he was always getting into scraps, and he ended up, yeah, like you say, punch someone. The guy falls over, whacks his head on something, dies, and then bam, straight to prison. And because you're in the army, you're judged higher. Sure, right. Bam, straight to prison. Just yeah. for being a dick and getting in a street fight, basically. He's lost his livelihood. Lost your livelihood. He's lost his career. And, and then, he's, he's lost his freedom. Yeah. He's in, and he's got... And the the mental toll that'll take on you for the rest of your life. Sure. It's, that freaked me out because I just thought, it could happen to anyone. It's 30 seconds of madness change your whole life like that. You don't want to be dealing with it. Because there's also, um, for A-Level I did law and then there, we did a little bit about this thing. It's called the Thin Skull Law. So what it basically states is that someone could have it it started because the person did literally have a thin skull so they got punched someone punched them and because they had a thin skull it fractured and killed them uh and the argument was well that person had a thin skull that's not my fault and the argument and it's like the thin skull law basically says you know that person could it, it doesn't matter if they've got a thin skull if you punch them and they have to have a thin skull and they die because of it you're, you're responsible which is obviously you can see both sides of the argument, how how you could argue against that, but it's also like, you throw a punch. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, if you're, unless you're defending yourself totally, but it's like that person could have just anything, you know, and it, that, that thin skull doesn't have to necessarily mean the bones and punching, but it's like that person has some sort of deformity or defect that changes their body composition and you do something to them and that person ends up being harmed because of that. Yeah. You will you will face the full force of the law. I would try to avoid confront physical confrontations in the street. Yeah, that's the moral of this. Yeah. Um. So so there's a time and a place. If you want to go and fight, there's a time and a place for that. Yeah. There's that you can set it up in a ring, have your rules, shake your hands. Hey, and if if you want something more than that, go do a. Go do a le- go do a bare knuckle fighting in a garage somewhere. There's people who want to do that. That yeah, exists. That's pretty mental, right? Well, like, yeah, that's not for me. <laughs> but, but there are some crazy people who love that. There's you can go and find. It's out there. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I knew people who used to do that. It's like uh, 
tra- members of the traveling community. Or yeah. Would just go and test yourself. Go do a bare knuckle somewhere if that's what you want to do. But in the streets where the law and the the you could end up in hospital or end up in prison or worse, end up in the morgue. It's not worth it, in my opinion. Yeah, I used to watch some of those. Um, the the Irish traveller bare knuckle fights right. where they like call each other out and it'd be like a 15, 20 minute fight. Right. There's no there's no spectacular movement in it, but it's still they're punching each other or trying to punch each other for like 20 solid minutes. And it's like, Jesus, these right. people are absolutely crazy. If, no, thank you. If that's you. what you want to do, not for me though. No. Um. So we've skipped over, I mean, we've gone through the martial arts stuff, but we... We skipped over Paris. So Paris came, was it your early 20s? Um, I went there in 2004, just before that would have been my 22nd birthday. You know, just before my 22nd birthday. I left the university, the first, I left Wolverhampton in um, like April, May. 2004 i went home for a little bit i was quickly reminded that i didn't want to stay there i traveled around europe uh, on a bike for it was about six weeks i went through a lot of different places that i'd never been before i think it was about 14 countries in all on a push bike yeah i threw a combination of a push bike and the train mm. i made my way through about 14 countries um and i was it was partly a bit of a recon mission like okay where do i want to go right like, i tried uni everybody told me go to uni i tried that didn't really work out i know going back home is not an option because i'm finding all the same problems that i was trying to get away from in the first place mm-hmm. so i can't go home uh where can i go what can i do traveled around europe went to see the olympics in greece in 2004 mm-hmm. i just just like needed to set yourself a project mm-hmm. like okay i'm saying it was on the tv all the time like the olympics is coming up the olympics okay well let's go see the olympics then so i got on a bike made my way to greece went through like 14 countries on the way there and on the way back and when i got back i was like okay i think i'm gonna go to paris i don't know what i'm gonna do I don't know where I'm going to stay. I don't have really any money. But it's... I'm going to go and do that. So I did that. And so, yeah, I got to Paris in uh, like maybe September 2004. Just before my 22nd birthday. Oh, nice. So so when you travelled down to Greece yeah. um, and back, were you staying in the hostels or were you sleeping it rough then? Uh, I was mostly sleeping outside. On, it was the summertime, so that was that was that was fine. That was doable. But yeah, sleeping outside in the train stations, maybe sleeping on the train sometimes. Um, mostly, yeah, mostly sleeping outside. <laughs> yeah, sleeping outside. <laughs> How was it like the first time? Was it a, a conscious decision? Like, right, I'm gonna sleep outside as a as a test of mental strength or was it 
circumstances led you there or lack of money like the first all time of you... it, maybe all of those <laughs> all of those yeah no seriously all of those um again like i didn't feel like i had many options mm -hmm. and if i wanted to do this thing well then this is the this is what i have to do in order to do this thing yeah and if sleeping outside is a consequence of of doing this thing that i want to do go, traveling to greece then sure i'd sleep outside because you want to get to Greece. Your destination is going to see the Olympics. If I have to sleep outside, well, hey, I'm going to go find a nice tree to sit under. Mm. And again, it's Southern Europe. So, well, you know, I'm making my way through France, uh, Italy, you know, heading into Southern Europe in the middle of, or late July. It's yeah, pretty, it's very yeah. doable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what was it? Did you have any um, shady experiences on the way down there or the way back? Greece, yeah, no, sleeping outside. no, 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 I don't remember any. That was, well, was 18 years ago now, yeah, yeah. I don't, re I don't remember anything particularly shady. That may just be like ro nostalgic, kind of rose tinted glasses, but no, I don't remember anything. Nice. And then when you got down to Greece, so do you remember the countries that you went through on the way there? France, I think a little bit of Switzerland, Italy. And then from Italy over to Greece. And how long did it take you to get down there? About three weeks to get down there. Two and a half weeks to get down there. A few days in different parts of Greece to to see some of the Olympic events. And mm -hmm. then, yeah, two, two and a half weeks to get back. Nice. I'd love to do something like that. Like, I met, when I first arrived in Barcelona, I met these, this kind of hippie couple. And they'd walked from Mexico to Alaska. And I was right. like, Jesus. And they said they walked with, I think they had the like basically two changes of clothes. So the ones they were wearing and one in their pack. And they just walked away there. It took them six months. And I was like, Jesus. And then I met these people. Um, I met a guy when I was, I think, yeah, I was in Brazil. And he said that he'd met these people when he was traveling, that there was a couple again. They had some like fairly high paying job or whatever, sold all their stuff. And then they went over and then they were living on a dollar a day uh -huh. and cycling. And they'd been to like a hundred and something countries. Uh -huh. And they were basically just eating like a kilo of rice a day or something like that. <laughs> cycling around. I was like, oh my God. Just the, 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 I just love, I always admire so much the level of determination. And when you set, like you said, setting yourself that mission and that's what I'm doing. That's it. Like that, that's, that's oh. my goal. Then whatever it takes to get there, that doesn't matter because that's it's, my goal. It's discipline. It's discipline. And focus. It's yeah, it's it's amazing. I I discipline is it's something that's prevalent in my life and I try to be disciplined, but whenever I meet people who are really disciplined, it's just it's inspirational and I just discipline is discipline's freedom. Can't remember where I saw that written before, but discipline is freedom. So, yeah, you, it's like that paradox of putting these limitations and discipline and strictness on myself actually gives you mental freedom and freedom in the rest of your life. Focus, focus on a goal. Focus on something, whatever it is, short term, long term. But focus on the goal. And if you start with something small, prove to yourself that you can do it. Mm. And then tomorrow, focus on another goal. Maybe something a little bit bigger this time. But yeah, it's experiences like traveling to... I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to travel to Greece. So, oh, so many people said I couldn't do it. Mm. And then the morning I set out, 
on my bike. Everybody had said I couldn't do it. Like, all my friends were like, ha, 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 you're not going to do that. My parents were like, ha, ha, you're not going to do that. And then I turned out the bottom of my street. It's like, I didn't, I didn't know. Like, am I, am I actually going to do this? I turned out the bottom of my street and I saw this one, this, 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 I guess, yeah, I, I'm going to say friend in this instance. So I'm going to say friend. Uh, and he said, like, hey, how, how you doing? Where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to Greece. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, man, good for you. He was cool. I can't wait to see you when you get back. It's like he's the only person who said who who kind of had any faith in me other than myself. Yeah, and that's exactly what I needed when, as I turned out of my street, because mm. the hardest step is the first step. Oh, and right. I I I hadn't left the end of my street. It's so kind of prophetic that he passed at that exact moment because I I didn't see him very regularly. But he just had the right mentality, the right attitude, the right kind of outlook and perspective on life to give you that little. Because when you turn out of the street where my parents live, you go down a hill. Mm. So you see the metaphor here? He just he just gave me the little push. His attitude, his spirit gave me the little push I needed to get out of the end of my street. And from there, it was downhill. Downhill in the sense that I'm literally yeah, going yeah. down a hill. Like, I'm on a bike. I don't have to pedal. The hard work is done for me at, at that moment. Not downhill in the sense of it's getting worse. No, downhill in the sense that I'm getting a big push. Mm. I'm being given a lot of momentum in this moment because I'm not having to pedal. I'm going downhill and I'm gathering speed. I'm gathering energy behind me. Yeah, it's that. It's that beautiful image as well of the snowball, you know, it's going exactly down the hill and like that. once it starts, that's it. There's yeah. no stopping it. Yeah. And it just gathers force, gathers momentum. And it's like, I've experienced in my life a lot of the, like what you mentioned there, people saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. When I come out with these big dreams and these ridiculous ambitions and things that, that I have and people are like, nah, you can't do that. Or like, how are you going to do that? And it's just, I think I sometimes... I think if it's family members, it can, it used to hurt me because I thought that maybe they don't believe in me. But then it's now when I hear it, I understand it's more just concern, uh, which it is fine. And then, but, and then if it's other people, it's often just jealousy or not understanding. But it just now it just fuels the fire. Now yeah. I'm just like, the yes. more you say that, the more I'm, I'm just like, I'm going to prove you wrong. No, like, I don't, I'm not trying to prove you wrong. I'm trying to show you the potential of a human being. Yeah, I'm trying to show you that if if I can do it, I'm no different from you. We grew up in the same town. We sat next to each other at school. We're the same. And we're more the same than we are different. If I can do it, you can do it too. I believe in you. And I'm showing that showing you that I believe in you by believing in myself. Yeah. I'm going to go do this thing by showing you what human potential is. Yeah, it's that awesome Gandhi quote. Um, be the change you want to see in the world. It's, it's, that. it's that cliche. Um, it's true, it is so. It is so true, and it's just it's taken like for me. Self mastery is is my obsession. I'm obsessed with it, and obsessed with being better each day. Obsessed with growth and just leveling up. You know, I think I used to love video games. I don't play them anymore, sadly, but 
I've all I always loved video games, role playing games, like where you develop your skills and you level oh. up and you reach top level and all that. And it's I just think of everything like that. I think life's like that. Learn a new skill, pick it's... up a new toy. Like I don't know, learn a new mu- mu- musical instrument. Um, okay, you you've done taekwondo, go learn judo. Okay, you learn judo, and and you can. And I don't want anyone to think that I'm a master of this, because people dedicate their whole lives to 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 one thing exclusively. Mm-hmm. I'm a little more uh, jack of all trades. Yeah, maybe I have um, attention issues that i want to do a lot of things i really want to drink in everything that life has to offer so i will try different activities but they're all i know what my skills are i know what my things i'm good at i know what i'm interested in that allows me to instantly kind of maybe put in things certain things in the maybe pile um yeah i know what the what skills i've already mastered and how i can maybe transfer some of those skills into other disciplines new things that i have to learn but where I can draw on my old skills and abilities and techniques to, to give me a little bit of a head start on, on these other things. Mm. Uh, yeah, get to know yourself. Show yourself what you're capable of, what, what your own potential is. Um, believe in yourself. And then, and then feed that back out to other people. Be, yeah, be a positive influence on yourself and on the people around you. And pick your litter up. Yeah, pick your litter up. <laughs> yeah, there's something that... I always, I always had terrible issues with self-esteem. Um, I hated looking at myself. I hated being overweight. I hated, I just was not comfortable in my own body and in my own skin. And then, obviously, when you compound that then with drinking and taking drugs and being a dick, then your self-esteem just goes to rock bottom. But then getting it at rock bottom and then trying to build it up now, I realized self-esteem has to be earned. Self-esteem has to be earned uh-huh. by doing things that are healthy yeah. and good for you and discipline. Exercise, I would say, for, for self-esteem, exercise is number one. Yeah. Number one, you know, it's that, it's that classic stand up straight. And it's, well, if you've got a strong chest, you'll naturally stand up straight, you know, strong yeah. back and chest, then you'll naturally yeah. be standing up straight. And once you're naturally standing up straight, you'll look more confident you'll feel more confident. People will treat you as if you're more confident. And then, you know, if you can do 10 press-ups and hold your own body weight or a chin-up and pull yourself up, just yeah. that, the, the confidence that that builds in yourself yeah. is just, I think it's unparalleled. And then you couple that with something like learning a new skill, doing something like, like a martial art where you're literally leveling up and going through the hierarchy and you spend, I don't know, one year as a white belt, and then you're onto the blue belt in, yeah. in jiu-jitsu, and then you are a bit above in the hierarchy, and, and yeah. it's a healthy, earned, like, you, you that the reward you get from that blue belt after one or two years' dedication, yeah. that's it's a huge reward because you put in a huge amount of effort, and it's that effort versus reward that builds the self-esteem and that... that is strongly impacted i think from quick rewards which are drugs alcohol sex and all those type food whatever and it's like there's there's no effort involved in those things sex maybe if you've got to put a a real graft into finding a person willing to (laughs) drop their knickers or trousers for you for (laughs) whatever they wear on their bottom half um for you that i suppose that does have some effort in it but 
the other things it's like well but you're not gonna deferred deferred gratification is something i've always been trying to make yeah and other people talk about this a lot better than better than we can but instant gratification is it's 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 fast food Mm. of 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 life oh Uh, wait i think someone's knocking one second yeah came back in um sorry for that i'll I'll probably cut that out um so we were on delayed gratification um which is yeah it's something as well that i only learned about a couple of years ago like uh, the term at least delayed gratification yeah and something i wish i learned before yeah because it is powerful and it's that it's almost like unlocking a, a little secret, you know. It's yeah. like, wait a minute. If I put five minutes a day effort into something uh-huh. and compound that yes. effort over a month or two months, then yeah. I get this huge reward yeah. at the end of it. And the way that for me that's manifested so clearly is with the poetry. Yeah. You know, I only write five or ten minutes per day yeah. because I can't bring myself to do more than that yeah um but five or ten minutes compounded is a poem a month pretty much and then i perform that poem and then i get that reward of people enjoying it or being invited to go perform somewhere because of that reward and it's like that direct feedback and then you get i wouldn't say i'm hooked on that but then that gives you another path for finding real because it's not even like it's necessarily pleasure it's more satisfaction and satisfaction i think trumps pleasure by a long way in in my case feeling that innate sense of satisfaction from hard work and it's healthy it's constructive it's permanent Mm. that is to say that you can we haven't talked much about my creativity i'm conscious of the time and maybe we could do another episode in the future where Mm -hmm. we talk about the actual uh, process of making yeah uh, paintings um but it gives you something permanent something that yes you said it you can share it with other people um something that yes invites other opportunities for events or other spaces um but yeah it's permanent it it outlive your poetry will outlive you yeah your poetry will last forever as a contribution that you've made to uh, culture society civilization your community whatever um it it it's a part of yourself that exists in the moment that continues to exist forever yeah and i've always been i've always been i loved reading biographies autobiographies when i was a kid uh my mum used to give me them she used to give me a lot of um what do you call them testimonies because she was a create like a born again Christian, she used to give me these testimonies of how people had changed from these rough lives and then turned to God, uh-huh. um, and whether or not turning to God is a good or a bad thing, I'm not going to get into that now. But I've always loved that the the change. I've loved the progression, and I've loved reading about people that have had amazing lives. And I remember when I was younger, just thinking, I want to live an amazing life, uh-huh. so that. I can write an awesome biography right. and like you know it's like that that would be the ultimate reward living your life in such a way then when you're 60 writing a book that then outlives you yeah and 
helps people, amuses people, entertains people. Yeah. And it's like, that's like the ultimate long reward, I think. And so far, I don't think I've lived any sort of spectacular life, but I'm still 28. Yeah. So I've got another 60 years, 70. Hopefully, I want to live to 100. Tell, yeah, tell a cool story, inspire people, be a positive influence, leave a positive mark on, on the planet. Yeah, it's that, it's that kind of posthumous fame that just like that's appealing it's just, it's just knowing that you're doing a good thing yeah it's just no there's a lot of there's a lot of bad energy in the world and we have to be conscious of that and and choose to to work not fight mm. against but choose to work against it choose to constructively solve the problems that we face and part of part of part of that is is being healthy physically and mentally healthy and making the world a more interesting beautiful place i believe in uh, sports and arts have really have really saved me i believe in redemption yeah Redemption's about like like born again christians with the theme of redemption yeah I totally believe in redemption and, and yeah it's sports and arts that offer offered me a large sense of redemption gives you a new um New purpose. avenue of life yeah, and a new purpose. Direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think what we'll do, I think, shall we wrap it up here for today? And then we can do a future one about the the Paris and the art because it's almost, they're almost like two totally different kind of, yeah. topics. Yeah. So, and we've done like the martial arts, the exercise stuff today. Yeah. Um, and I'm just concerned that there's probably going to be quite a lot of noise out there now. Yeah. Um, there is some overlap between the uh, being held between my sports and my arts. There is some overlap, but they're also sufficiently different that I think we got enough energy in in uh, another podcast. I'll do that with you. Yeah, certainly, because I think that that'll leave it on a nice little cliffhanger. For people to ooh, yeah. for people to learn um, about the experiences of four years living rough in Paris, so that'll be an exciting story for upcoming. And who knows what number podcast that will be? Because then that could be you could have two temporarily best podcasts, um, which would be amazing. <laughs> um, so at the end of this podcast, it's the quest for wisdom. I ask my guests for words of wisdom um i usually ask for words of wisdom to yourself growing up and words of wisdom to the listeners now okay find a find a purpose find a healthy purpose and commit to it learn what your skills abilities passions interests are yeah find out what you're good at find out what you like and find a healthy place to channel those into it's okay to have setbacks okay to to diverge from your route a little bit that's all part of the learning process but ultimately believe in the direction that you're going in and believe that it'll all work out for the best and make a positive contribution to who you are with the skills that you have and share that with the people around you make the world a better place and is that for yourself or is that for is that have you combined the two of those I've tried to do the, the okay. two those, yeah. some wise words there from dan um so dan this has been amazing i've Thanks. thoroughly enjoyed this Me too. uh yeah i um, hope you have and 
there's an exciting little treat for you now because one moment she got what's in the bag i wasn't expecting this what you get is the first quest for wisdom t-shirt all right nice um I only have, I have medium, I think maybe a medium is going to be too small. I couldn't remember how, what your size you were. Uh, I've only got medium. I thought you're, you're more of a tight yeah. t-shirt guy. Yeah, how did you know? Um, I just thought you were, because he's, he's quite a beefy guy, but he's also quite, well, you're not particularly tall, are you? Um, <laughs> no. but you're, you're not particularly tall, but you are very beefy. So, um, yeah, I'm I have mediums. I'm average height, apparently. Are you? Apparently. How tall is that? Five foot eight, I think. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I, I, maybe I should move to the Netherlands. And then, I no, think you're... then I'll be then I'll definitely be short. Yeah, but anyway, lovely um, t-shirt. Thank you. Yeah, it's gonna. Uh, it's, I really, if it, if I it's too small, to let me know because I've got mediums or extra larges. I think it's gonna um, be perfect. But yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> I've loved this, and we'll see you again for another one. Our first it. return guest, probably. Um, right. Farewell, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Quest for Wisdom podcast with your host, Connor Monaghan. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support the show, then please like it, subscribe, and leave a review on whichever platform you are using. This small act is a massive help and is hugely appreciated. You can find more information about all of our guests on thequestforwisdom.com and follow us at thequestforwisdom on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for exciting updates. We also have a Patreon account for anyone who would like to contribute towards the running of the show. Finally, I would like to thank the Comedy Clubhouse in Barcelona for allowing us to record here and for their ongoing support. If you are ever in Barcelona, make sure to check it out for daily shows of comedy and performance art in English. Farewell for now. <laughs>